0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Vinyl Countdown, the podcast where I, Jeremy Levine, break down my favorite vinyl releases from cover to cover and everything in between on this week's special episode. Super excited to share with everybody, finally, the interview that I did with Connor Murphy, lead singer of Foxing. Uh, Really, really appreciate him coming on. He was super fun to talk to. Um... You know, we kind of just talked about everything from the beginnings of Foxing to all the albums and touring and just some fun anecdotes on, along the way, and um, you yeah, really excited for you all to hear that. I just wanted to go through uh, a very corner real quick with everyone. Um, so we, we, since we kind of talked about all three of the albums, I guess I just want to talk about the three records that I have right now. Um, I have the Albatross. I have all three of their albums, right? So the Albatross was the first album released in 2013. And uh I have the it's like it's clear with a uh, clear in blue like a blue blob with blue splatter also and like the center label is like gold. Um uh, looks really fucking cool. But that was limited to 500 um dealer. I actually picked up um Last year, maybe, or the, maybe the year before, but it was after "Near My God" had come out, their their most recent album, and um, I just happened to run across it in a record store, like in in Dallas, I think, and uh, ended up buying that one. It's just a standard uh, black variant, I guess the whatever the retail variant is, and um, I then pre ordered and got my hands on the white, the uh, bone white variant for "Near My God." limited to 500, Uh, all of the records sound great, Um, I will say the Albatross, I don't know if it's just the pressing, or, because I've listened to the album via like mp3 and just whatever else, and it always sounds fine, but the vinyl I have doesn't sound quite as good as I would think it should, but then Dealer and Near My God sound great, so I don't know if it's just that particular pressing that sounds that way or not, but um, whatever the case, They they all sound pretty good, and um, uh, always been very happy with my purchases because all the albums are great. And, um, you know, I guess without further ado, let's get into the interview, and I'll be back later to uh, plug some shit. So, all right, hope you all enjoy. Thanks. So, I'm here with uh, Connor Murphy from Foxing. Uh, by the way, this is the Vinyl Countdown podcast, as I guess you all know if you're listening to it. Um, so again, how's it going today? Pretty good, holding up pretty well.
1: I'm doing okay. I'm doing as good as I could.
0: Yeah, I guess that's about uh, how we all are doing right now. But yeah, uh, I gotta say, um, I like your shirt, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's uh, <laughs> you're welcome. That's uh, home for the best year. As <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to go too far. I don't want to go political, but just, just you know, Biden's a nightmare, and it's like. It sucks, but anyway.
1: Uh, uh, for reference, obviously because it's an audio media, I, I'm wearing a Bernie Sanders shirt, but <laughs> that's, what, that, that's what he's referring to here.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I finally got my <laughs> I finally got my Sanders shirt like probably three months after I ordered it, after all of the uh, <laughs> after all of the oh, really? um, campaigning was done. Yeah, which you know they had a lot going on, and I didn't, didn't want to <laughs> bother them about like where's my shirt or anything.
0: Yeah, it's like hey we're trying to change America. Where's my goddamn shirt?
1: Exactly. I'm just gonna start screaming at him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Shit. Well, let's see. Let's kind of um I guess let's start from the beginning here, right? Uh so with Foxing and the early days of Foxing, what was the uh the local scene like in, in St. Louis? Like were were you guys kind of like the, the standalone, I guess, I don't even know what to really categorize you as, but the quote unquote emo band, or is it kind of a movement with a lot of other local bands
1: um so i mean of course there it was a a movement of local bands um that we were you know our our friends uh and i don't know just really great there's always been really amazing great music in st louis there still is i mean now more than ever i think our music scene is just full of like some of the best bands that have existed in the city um one thing that tends to happen in st louis is just because of the geography because we're so far from major cities we're far from chicago we're far from kansas city we're far from nashville you know those are all like kind of the the closest places to us um but because they're hours and hours away it's really hard for st louis bands to tour um Hmm. and what usually ends up happening is because it's so hard to make that happen we we all tend to just stay here and uh really early in foxing's career i think a thing that really like differentiated us from everyone was that we committed to, uh, we're going to go on tour. Like, no question. That is just what we're going to do. Um, and a huge thing that we did with that was um, we set up a DIY spot in St. Louis and uh, started hosting bands at that spot, putting shows together where either we played or we picked one of those great St. Louis bands to play it. Uh, but then more than that, we also. Gave them a place to crash, um, like stay with us and made them food, you know, got them beer and weed and whatever they were looking for (laughs) and uh, really made it like a comfort. Tried to make it as comfortable as we possibly could for the bands from out of town to like stay there. And yeah, uh, it was a two part thing. One is like, ethically speaking, you know, you got to do that for these bands, for these smaller bands, because it's like, yeah. none of these tours are major label funded or anything. Like all these bands are grinding and they're also making a type of music that is not like radio accessible. It's really like DIY music. That's truly like, I don't know. They're trying to innovate and they're trying to do something new. uh, And it's really hard to like break that and like make a bunch of money doing it. So because of that, they're stuck on couches and on floors and stuff. So we try to make it so you know, like nobody has to sleep on a floor. (laughs) Trying to do it with pots and couches and extra, you know, bed space and stuff. And um, the second part of it was also when it came time for us to actually go and tour, uh, we would hit up those same people and say like, hey, do you know anyone that can like put a show together for us in Milwaukee or in Houston or, you know, wherever. Um, And it was awesome because, you know, there's there's always like these great networks of DIY Bands, You know, Facebook groups or whatever, yeah. collectives, labels, all that kind of stuff. But um, more than that, just the act of hosting a band, doing, you know, making it as comfortable as you can for them. And then when you go to them, they do it for you. It's as simple as that, you know, and it always yeah. has. Been and that's all it really needs to be i think collectives and you know facebook groups and all that kind of stuff is are, are great tools to accomplish that but more than anything just like the act of like i'm going to help you out when you come to town anytime because you're my friend and because i'm your friend uh hopefully you help me out and if not that's cool too you know sometimes it's it's just like <laughs> a give and no kind of take and that's that's totally cool too it's it's more yeah. about ethical like you know trying to help a fellow musician out um but on the other end it's like people return that that kindness um tenfold so uh that was really the thing that i think like set us apart from other bands around us at that time um and that doesn't mean that we are better than any of those other bands at all like musically speaking <laughs> there's so many other bands at the time and continue to be other bands uh that are like musically just fucking innovative and awesome and these really cool people and just kind. Uh, uh, but a lot of times, again, just because of the geography, it's like, it's really hard to leave St. Louis and it's hard to put your job yeah. up because it's like, it's going to take you a long time to get to Chicago or wherever, or especially to get to the East or West coast, you know, like the East coast is just like all the cities are clustered together. So it's kind of a lot easier to just like pop around to each city um but here you know you really have to work for it
0: yeah that's um speaking of the i guess the midwest my wife is actually from uh, kansas uh wichita kansas oh, okay. and uh visiting there there's i was kind of surprised i thought i knew where things were and then geographically it's just huge and spread out and uh, i was like oh, hey, kansas city is just like right over here right she's like oh it's like three hours whatever way yeah. and i'm like oh shit okay yeah, so yeah, I could imagine touring is not easy in 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 places like that where everything's so spread out and you know.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, it's um, it's really hard to tour, uh, in the Midwest and bands from the East and West Coast know that as well. I mean, like when they come to the Midwest, they're like, oh my God, these drives are killing me. Uh, <laughs> or especially even more than that, like bands from Europe when they come here are like, how, what the hell? This is a 12-hour <laughs> drive. Like, what are we doing? You know when you go like Salt Lake City to uh, Denver, that drive is n- just mind-numbingly boring and like so long. There's nothing in between. Um, well, there's Boise. I don't want to knock Boise. Boise's there, but even then, well. it still like, doesn't break that drive up enough.
0: <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, okay, I couldn't couldn't imagine the uh, the, the toll that it takes being in a, in a little in a van with like you know five or six people for that long all the time. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Does that, uh, I mean, is the strain of touring is ever good to you guys. I'm sure it has to, you know, by the end of a tour, you just like want to strangle somebody.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, at the beginning of tours, we want to strangle each other. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's really tough. Cause I've, so when we've toured with bigger bands, you know, uh, I think there's, I've only done it once where I got to tour with, I, I got to ride in another band's va- uh, uh, What, what is it, bus. Um, I. There's one night where I rode in Manchester Orchestra's bus. And it's the only time I've ever ridden on a bus. And (laughs) it was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing in the world. Like I can actually lay down (laughs) and sleep and like get up and kind of like walk around a little bit. There's a bathroom here, you know, like there's a a competent driver that you're not worried about because they have like their CDL and like, I don't know. it's, uh, It's so, so awesome. And it really, I mean, for me, at with being on that drive, it really like gave me something to like, uh, uh like a goal of like someday maybe we can be on something like like a bus like this. Um, yeah. Which, and if it never happens, it's like there will always have been that goal. And that's <laughs> not for me. But uh, but yeah, in in a in a fifteen passenger van, it's like oh my god, it is uh you know in in this quarantine now, it's like. Think about this, but only being able to be in one room and also have like you know seven other people in the room with you, and just that's that's like the whole that's that's a whole drive. That's a whole like yeah.
0: Team, Again, I, I can sort of maybe picture it, because at work we have our control room and it's like me and three other people stay in a distance apart, but for 12 hours we're kind of in there together, and within a you know a few weeks or a month of working with the same sh- crew, I'm just like. Oh boy, it's uh, it gets tough. But well, it, that's
1: and anything, just like when you live with someone, it's like you immediately start learning who's who snores and <laughs> you know, who stir crazy really fast, or you know whatever. Like you're you immediately figure out uh, your differences in opinion about whatever <laughs> politics or otherwise. You you think that you're both like you think you're all like liberal people, and then you start. Whatever. <laughs> 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 you know, not that not that we have differences of uh, political opinions, but it, it, more than that, it's just kind of like I don't know, even like movie taste or something. You start getting in arguments and ugh, <laughs> it's horrible. But but we do it because we love it, and uh, and we all love it. So we always got to keep that in mind. Like this is all this is all for because this is you know our chosen career path, and and we love this thing. You know.
0: Yeah. So, so, okay, I, I wanted to ask you, too, so speaking of, like, the early days and everything and recording, the uh, the first time I saw you guys was back in 2014 with uh, Brand New, and uh, I didn't know who you were. was kind of just I was brand new, I guess, and then well, I think uh, there's somebody else that opened, too. That, uh, guitar. I, I don't remember. You guys really stood out, and, okay, that's right, yeah. And I remember, uh, I think, um, Inuit, you, you guys were starting there, and you were playing, and then we broke the trumpet out the entire crowd was like, <gasps> like kind of a, a collective gasp, like a, holy shit, what's that for? And then, uh, so I was wondering like, was that always something you're like, we got to put this in here in some way or another. We got to, we got to have the trumpet or
1: not necessarily. Like, how did that come about? <laughs> it was like, uh, so Eric and I were in a band together when I was like 12 years old and Eric was 13. Um, we were in a band together for, for many years and just a local band, you know, high school kind of, whatever and um uh i played in in grade school since i was like eight years old i've played trumpet and french horn and uh we always kind of um we always looked up to these bands like you know beirut or broken social scene or Sufjan stevens you know we looked up to these bands who incorporated like uh orchestration into their rock music and um yeah and so we we really wanted to do that same kind of thing and because we didn't understand how to record and because we didn't have the resources to bring in like uh I don't know other musicians like violin players or cello players or anything um we relied on just like me to play the trumpet uh and the french horn I played some french horn in in uh, that that first band and um and so when it came time to do this foxing stuff uh I it was kind of this natural thing of like doing the same thing of like, well, we want to put in like orchestral instruments here. So when we were recording, it's like, you know, obviously I'm I'm recording in trumpet parts. And then when we were playing things live, it was natural to be like, well, and then I'll, you know, this part I'm not singing, so I'll play trumpet on it. And so yeah. that's kind of like the go to thing of like. In foxing songs for live purposes anytime I'm not singing I'm usually playing trumpet or another instrument um so it was it's always really awesome whenever we're playing in front of a crowd that doesn't know us because <laughs> they really don't expect that and it's it's, yeah. it's, never, it's never meant to be this like blow everybody's mind moment but it ended up becoming that because people are watching a rock band play and then out of nowhere a trumpet pops up and they're like, Wait, what the fuck is that? And a lot of times on that tour or <laughs> like when we when we tour with Manchester Orchestra or any, any bigger tours that we've done, um, the the crowd will just start applauding, not because I, I played it well, <laughs> but just because I'm playing it in general. They'll start applauding just to see the instrument. Uh which is always, I mean, it's the greatest feeling in the world. It's like, you know, I don't play the instrument very well. Uh, (laughs) I'm not playing in in tune all the time, but uh, just to to feel that reception from the crowd is like, I don't know. It just, it feels really, really great. That's
0: pretty awesome. Like, I I don't, don't, not to, not musically, I guess styling wise, it's not the same, but it kind of reminded me of the first time I heard like yellow card, right? And, a fiddle yeah, pops up and it's like instant. the the fuck is the fuck is that for? Like what you know? And then it, it incorporates well in the music and it's like ah oh, that's really that's really cool. And it's like something that you don't see every day. But uh, you yeah, know, similar to that, although you know, sonically not the same, but yeah, same I, I guess idea.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an an accidental gimmick.
0: <laughs> well, it's worked out well so far, I believe. It's a um, but uh so okay so speaking of okay so kind of moving into the albatross that was you know that came out when it went december of 2013 right like and then uh i think i might have i think i saw you guys in 2014 so uh you know i guess that was the only album that was out the only thing you guys were playing from uh but now being three albums in i know there's certain songs are there are there certain songs like like rory for example i think i've read that that's sort of you kind of distance yourself from that one or you you still play it live right like how does how does that work like to decide which songs to kind of leave off and which ones to kind of pull back from the the back catalog
1: well it's funny because anytime you write anytime i write I, I, you know i'll speak for myself uh anytime i write lyrics um that are very personal and from uh, a moment i usually uh it, it's usually a toss-up between am i going to believe this for you know the rest of our career am i going to really feel this way forever or, or are my uh i don't know am i going to mature and kind of develop beyond it and that goes for the actual lyrics like uh you know like the the poetry of it all like what uh, the word choice was the word choice good or was the message good whatever it is and with a song like Rory it's like i feel like what people took from that song was a very like um a very uh negative unrequited love message, which wasn't really the intention. My intention with that song was always kind of this desperate this this kind of cry of desperation of like you know um unrequited love like and it comes from a place of like a, a personal relationship that was very uh it was very complicated it was a very complicated relationship that uh <laughs> that I couldn't describe you know properly in in one song and like and it wasn't like I don't know it's just this thing of when you try to boil everything down to like one song your word choice is so important and i feel like in retrospect that song uh didn't capture the moment properly you know like it didn't uh it didn't like do what i wanted it to do and the reason i feel that is because of the way people respond to it uh, overall yeah like a lot of people are like i had like this you know whatever a horrible x and i'm like oh that wasn't the point uh <laughs> you know the the point was really more of like an inward look like you know who am i and what am i doing wrong you know like why yeah. is it, why is this love not returned like because what am i doing and a lot of people look at it as more like this other person sucks and like they don't you know I I deserve their love or something and like I, I guess yeah the, the main thing though is that we do still play that song we play it almost every show and the reason why is because uh at the end of the day whatever your reason is for liking it so many people still really like that song and really connect to it and um and it's not it's just a matter of like if, if we didn't have to play it if it wasn't a popular song if people didn't really like you know get a ticket to our show expecting to hear it. Uh, we wouldn't play it, but because so many people do, it kind of feels like well, we we owe it to you to do that because you know if we just say like no, we don't like this song anymore, then like uh I don't know it, it feels like we've, uh, we've, we haven't given the best show that we could to to the people that buy tickets to our shows. So that's why we yeah play. and we give it our I gotcha. all. I got you. Know, we, I mean that's to me. I was sorry. What are you saying? Oh
0: yeah. No. No, you're good, man. I was just saying like for for me like that reading that port like that side of it to say like, oh, this, this song is bad because of whatever reason people have uh for me personally it came out at a time where things I was kind of in that situation too, so it was like I was going through a divorce and it was like, Yep, that song gets me. I I'm all I'm on board for it. So when I heard like the kind of read the negative things about it, I was like, never I never crossed my mind that, that it was about anything else other than what you said, you know what I mean? But uh
1: Well, I think that's the beautiful thing about music in general is that people attach their own meaning to everything. And and so a lot of times I feel like um, people attach a negative meaning to something when they've dealt with a negative kind of mindset on their relationship and vice versa. You know, like um, when people like, again, to me, it was always kind of this therapeutic process of writing where it was kind of, again, like looking at myself and like, you know what? What did what did I really do to like not? Uh, I don't know to like mess this up or something. And it was never yeah. supposed to be a thing of like, fuck you for not loving me. You know, <laughs> like. Um. And again, it's like you're trying to uh, describe like a very complex relationship with somebody in the span of like three minutes. Uh. And that's uh, nearly impossible when you <laughs> do that. Well, yeah, of course. And like when you do that, uh. It's just like a toss up, like, is it going to work or not? And in this case, like I looking back on it, I just feel like if I could rewrite that song, I would change just these little things to really make it be like, uh, I don't know, easier to use that song to process emotions in a healthy way rather than it being like totally up to a listener to like decide, like, you know, I don't know how they want to like interpret it. There's, yeah. there's ways, there's strategies and ways to guide a listener through processing the emotions that you're dealing with, and through through hearing your song. And I I've always just kind of felt like, you know, I'm growing and I'm maturing as a person. And like I wrote that song when I was 18, and like I, you know, oh, since wow. then I feel like I've been, I've I've matured to a point where it's like I, I kind of know a lot more about myself and about how to write to be able to hopefully again like guide a listener. To a point where they are attaching their own meaning, but in a in a healthy way. I
0: gotcha. Makes sense. So um, <clears throat> so I guess last uh, question in the the uh, the era of the albatross, right? So that uh, 2013 2014 was kind of uh, I've seen it described as like an an emo revival. I use the air quotes a lot on that, but uh, <laughs> bands like like Law Dispute, Tiny Moving Parts, The Hotelier, uh, Into It Over It, like all these bands you guys like were. Like, did you guys are playing any shows together, or is, is there any sort of, um, not say competition, I guess, but like a sort of, like, you see what kind of what they're doing, it sort of maybe influences things that you guys want to do or vice versa?
1: I think so. I mean, I think, um, competition, yes, to a certain degree. Like, uh, I think that when, when we, when we look at like a band like The Hotelier, Put out a record like goodness for instance or or even Uh one before that home like no place is there um it really pushes up to uh, pushes us to like step up our game whether it's through lyric writing or musically um same with uh you know all these other bands the world is a beautiful place or you know like just truly any bands from the same kind of uh scene as us because a lot of times it's kind of like We share a lot of the same fans. And when we see how those other bands have really affected uh, our shared fans and also how they've affected us, like personally, um, it's like, wow, okay, they were able to do this in such a succinct, cool way. And it pushes us to, you know, hopefully do it as good, if not better and um yeah. and just like how I was talking about before about like the goal of getting to like be on a bus it's the same kind of thing <laughs> where you're like the goal of like making a record better than like goodness by the hotel year even though we may never make a record as good as that one which you know i i adore that record um even if we never make one as good as that record the goal of trying to like them setting the bar so high will always be something that uh, pushes us forward, and it's like such a great motivator.
0: Always, yeah, that's um. I think about that sometimes, like a lot of bands that are sort of in similar scenes, like you said, that share uh, share fans and everything. Like you don't necessarily like look at them and go, oh, fuck that guy for making that record, but internally you're like, oh man, that really makes me want to be better <laughs> at what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of I guess a healthy competition amongst peers.
1: Yeah, definitely. But,
0: but uh, so because so moving on to a uh, dealer. So uh, that came out 2015, and I'll be honest, I was of uh, the—I guess I heard it, and I was like, man, it doesn't really sound like the Albatross as much as I was expecting. And I sort of slept on it for a little while, like, longer than I should have. Kind of a ashamed to admit that. But once I finally listened again, it was like, holy shit. Okay, this this director's great. But I'm wondering, like, so was it, I guess, a conscious decision to musically move to the point where you did— uh, where you guys did or was it kind of just just like so just growing up we kind of just came about organically
1: so it was the albatross was made in such chaos it was you know as far as writing went um, we had no process we were just kind of guessing at everything we were doing it was a lot of like part A part B C D E F G like just kind of you know um, we're just guessing at what we're doing and um, I think a lot of yeah. cool things came from that but you really can't repeat that process in a healthy way. Like when you have no idea what you're doing first off that record took so long to make, because I mean, we were all in school and it was like sporadic, like, you know, recording schedule of like, you know, once every whatever, few weeks we were recording something and recording at several different studios because we just didn't have money at times, you know, and studios were closing all that kind of stuff um yeah and when it came time to do dealer um we first off had money to use from our label which was awesome it was the first time we were ever given money to make music and with that money we said okay cool we can actually like pick a studio that we make this in we can pick a process that we want to use for the record um and we can Uh, set aside, like, these are the times where we actually make the the songs. So, uh, in doing that, we kind of went really hard in that direction of everything's going to be, like, process-oriented. So, uh, we had a set amount of time that we gave ourselves to, like, write the songs, a set amount of time to demo, a set amount of time to record them. You know, like, everything was kind of, like, uh, given, like, a uh, a schedule. So... Uh, in doing that, and then also we were like, and we we also want to be process oriented about like verses and choruses. Like we actually want to make these songs make sense and be, yeah, like not this thing where we're just guessing at like next next part next part next part next part. Um, so in doing that, I th- we all kind of felt like we really, um, I love that album and I, I'm proud of us for making it. But one thing about the album was that we were so strict with ourselves about rules and scheduling that uh by the end of it we felt like we could have done so much more if we would have just been like more relaxed about how we did it um if we would have ourselves to really like reflect on things rather than just like write and write and write like you know this is when we do this this is when we do that uh So, I mean, really, that's what influenced us to write the way we did on Near My God, which was by far the healthiest process of the three albums. um, And (laughs) what influenced us for how we're writing this record right now.
0: I was actually going to say, that was going to be my next question. Kind of, same question, but for Near My God, because with that one, you can kind of, you still see the progression from album to album, and once you get there, it's like, my first time hearing that just blew my mind. You know, like, it was, there's so many different things, it's so layered and long. it's is like uh, it really comes through on the record that it seems like there's a lot, you know, there's still structure, but it was still there's a lot of things kinda of getting thrown in there, but thrown in very well, you know.
1: Yeah, well the Near My God was like so dealer I felt like was a reaction to how we wrote the albatross. And Near My God was essentially our like our example of learning from both of those albums and what we loved about mm-hmm. both of them and what we didn't love about both of them. So it was balancing kind of the chaos of uh, the albatross, like the the chaos of, of like no schedules uh, writing, like kind of as we're like feeling it and, um, but also having these rules, you know, it's the balance between having rules and schedules and limitations and balancing that with the willingness to break those same rules. Uh, and, um, so that is, it's the proudest I've ever been of anything that I've, I've worked on is near my God. Um, and really set the stage for, for what we're working on now, which is, you know, furthering that maturity and furthering that, uh, process of like, we know how we work best. We know, you know, how, like when we give ourselves structure and the ability to say like, this is how, uh this is how our schedule works best and not giving ourselves like deadlines. We don't, we don't say like, it's gotta be done by this month or yeah. anything like that. Um, and then also Eric, uh, being our producer, um, is, is one of the most important things. We have a studio in St. Louis that we did for near my God. And for this one where we essentially just, uh, we able to go in and write as we record so we're writing and recording in tandem. Um, whereas on the other two albums, we were kind of like, you know, writing in a basement and then recording in a studio. And like, you know, it, it's it's really hard to do that. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's how most bands work. But for us, we realized the best way we can do this, because uh, we all have, you know, kind of audio bra- backgrounds. Um, we know how to run a studio. So yeah. we're able to... You know, our studio is pretty, it's pretty, um, I don't know. It's a, it's very, a, a DIY studio, but it, it's run with a lot of love and a lot of experience where we're able to say, you know, here's the song I just made, uh, Let's record it in, you know, let's see how it sounds when we all like kind of record our parts in and write and change our parts and add these other layers of like samples or uh, synthesizers or, you know, bring in some string musicians or bagpipes, you know, like a fun fun way to do it. And it also just kind of is the uh, the best way to make the songs as big and important as they need to be, you know. Yeah,
0: that um. Speaking of backpipes, that that's pretty awesome. The the inclusion of that on the record was um uh, something that I was not expecting. Again, like the horns, you know, and that's just like, huh, okay. Well, We're that's a, back-
1: I, that's <laughs> truly I think a huge example. And I mean, there's a million other things that we did that with, but it's a huge example of just being able to be free and experiment with these different things that just pop in your head because you're in your own studio you're not on a schedule so you're able to say like hey what if today we bring in a bagpipe player you know like um you know and and it's the same thing with like uh okay so there's you know we have this piano part what if we try it out on like uh uh like on like take the chord and assign it to uh, a string quartet you know like you're able to really do those things. You're able to try out all this stuff until it sounds exactly the way you want it because um, you know you have the the freedom to do that. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I was thinking of you uh, are uh, we talking about other bands like the bigger bands that you're with. I know in 2018 you guys were with a or was it, I guess 2019 with a Coheed in Cambria. Yes, yes. Which uh, I, I went to that sh- the show in Houston and uh, just a like you foxing is one of of my favorite bands pretty much all time but yeah you guys have uh, you know risen to that status for me which is pretty great and coheed Mm -hmm. has been one of my favorite bands since like the early 2000s i guess so to have you guys on the same ticket was like holy shit for me it was like a dream lineup but um i noticed like there's a a pretty it's a pretty funny like split in the crowd where it's like you know you can look at the people and say oh they're here for coheed or they're here for foxing kind of and uh the only, the Coheed only people was funny to watch them because they were looking and like they didn't really know what to make of it. But the, but like the end of the set, they all seemed to be super into it. And it was like, okay, that's cool. We got, there's more new fans coming in. You know what I mean? Like, did, did you guys see that throughout the tour? Is that something that was kind of.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, you know, it's interesting because every tour that we book, every support tour, I should say, that we book where um, a band like Coheed and Cambria or Circus Survive or. Manchester Orchestra, whoever it is, whenever they ask us to go on the tour, we always have a conversation between ourselves saying, are their fans going to give a shit about us? Are they going to like us or are they going to hate us? Like, you know? <laughs> And every time we're always so worried about that beforehand. And we get out there and we have just been like, we have like a hundred percent success rate with this stuff. And I do not know why, because (laughs) I, I, we really are convinced before every tour, like this isn't going to work out, you know, and Cambria and us don't sound anything alike. And these fans like rock, you know, like hard rock music, like heavy stuff. And we are, you know, uh, whatever we're, you know, emo experimental indie, like indie rock people that, uh, they're going to hate. And, it's crazy because they their fans will come up to us after and be like, I don't like this type of music, but I really had a good time watching you. And we we're like, yeah. oh, that's so awesome. That is the coolest thing. Um, so I don't know what it is uh, because, you know, you'd think by that same logic we'd be able to appeal to like – a massive audience but we're still a very small band so i don't know uh maybe <laughs> maybe it's just when we play live and then they go home and listen to it and they're like actually i don't like this i don't know what it is
0: all right <laughs> uh, it's just like it's funny because like i was you know i was screaming along and i'm dancing and doing whatever and the crowd around me like initially were kind of standing there they're looking at me funny i'm like i mean look at what's going on come on and then as like i said as it went on it's like they really got into it and uh it's just always funny to see that to kind of see that weird split in the crowds you know
1: we've really learned to um, not gauge an audience's reaction especially on support tours um like we we've learned to not um think like we played a good or bad show based on something like that you know like we because it just Oh, my God. The amount of times that we have played to an audience that is just staring at us and not moving and, like, looks like they're having the worst time ever. Like, I'll pick out somebody in the crowd and, like, (laughs) in my mind, I'm like, this person hates us more than anything in the world. They've never had a worse time. (laughs) And they, you know, they want to go home. And then after the show, I'll be at, like, the merch table and that same person will come up and be like, I want to buy everything. Give me everything. And you're like, what? What is your face doing <laughs> during that show? What is this? And the reality is, like, people can't control what their face looks like while they're listening to something, too. You know, like, for, for people that have That's heard true. it, obviously they're, they'll sing along and, you know, be happy to be hearing something. But a lot of people, like myself, uh, when I am hearing something for the first time, sometimes I'm just staring at them dead-faced. And, like, that you just can't help it, you know? Like And I'm not moving along or singing along because I don't know the song. And uh, so now, yeah, it's, it's very comforting to be able to we play a show and everybody is just staring blankly at us. And we're like, this is OK, because, you know, what's going to really matter is <laughs> after the show talking to these people and, you know, uh, whatever, like seeing what people say after it, uh, like either online or in person. And you know that's also why I love uh, going to the merch table and and talking to people after because you really gain some perspective of like no okay we actually played a really good show it wasn't it wasn't that bad yeah
0: <laughs> so uh, speaking of live uh, now I I'll, I'll always wonder this too like are there some songs that you wrote for near my god or even I guess any record that when you play it live you're like fuck this song's a pain in the ass and you, like you really have to focus to try to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> definitely oh yeah
1: <laughs> there's several songs that i can barely play um and i think all of us have <laughs> that are like god damn it here comes this song in the set and 50 fifth chance, am i gonna totally mess it up or am i gonna nail it um there's uh on near my god especially you know i wrote that one like the vocals i should say i wrote the vocals to that one without any uh any respect for myself later for singing. Um, And there are several songs that are just like nightmares to sing. Uh, The the title tracks of the record, Near My God is just constant holding notes, full voice. And it's just (laughs) fucking song. It's in that same register, just throwing them out. And the worst part is that we always put that song at the very end after I'm exhausted so <laughs> in the beginning of uh, touring on that record, all of these songs, I would like, I, you know, I'm running around the stage and like trying to be energetic and trying to put on a good show, but there's, <laughs> yeah, but like they're, uh, uh, I don't have the lung capacity to actually make it be good. It's like, I'm just, I'm <laughs> exhausted by the time I get to the second verse of it. Just I don't know. It's tough.
0: I can imagine. I know. Uh, I was really excited to see uh, Game Shark live the first time. Like, was I saw you live after Near My God came out, and that one it came it came across flawlessly. But I know that that song is like, it's tough. <laughs> so
1: that one, that one's hard for me, but who it's especially just so painful for is uh, Brett, who plays bass, and and John, our drummer. Um, <laughs> it's really funny to yeah. look at them while we're playing because they're fa- they're just wincing and you know John is just like <laughs> screaming into the air because it's just it's just the hardest thing to just keep doing it the whole set they're they're the most fun people to look yeah, at uh, in that song because they, they look like they are uh, being like electrocuted or something <laughs>
0: it's like yeah it's just from start to finish like, I guess especially for them it's just nonstop. it's just a relentless song and listening to it it's just like goddamn. it's like it's it's tiring listening to it. Like, I can only imagine playing it. Like It's just, it's just crazy. It's a crazy song. Yeah. But uh, Okay, so I was going to say, so now moving into, I guess, uh, the releases of all the records and everything, uh, being this is a, I gonna say, a vinyl-centric podcast, it's kind of what I do every week and everything. Um, I was curious, so I don't know that Albatross had a ton of pressings, a lot of different variants, a lot of different colors and that kind of stuff, and uh, Dealer and um, near my got kind of the same way, is that something that you guys actually have input on or is that more the label saying like, Hey, we're going to release this or that. And you know, what do you guys think? Or you know, how, how does that usually work?
1: You mean in terms of the artwork?
0: Oh. Uh, the, like the, the artwork and the, um, like the colors of the records, that kind of thing, like oh. the different variants that come out. And
1: So artwork, um, you know, obviously we have the uh, total control over what, what all the art is and everything. Um, yeah. the actual the actual pressings, like what color everything is, um, we always have control over that, you know, based on a selection of like a, a color palette of like here's the choices you have, um, and we always try to keep it in some way in a theme where it, um, we're using colors from the actual artwork. That's always the okay. idea. Um, so that's just our rule is just kind of like using a palette from the artwork so like uh on dealer for instance there was a lot of like gold and green um albatross there's a lot of like uh we use like you know off-white like bone white color and like blue uh you know some some dark greens um near my god is a lot of like black and uh red and uh i don't know like yellow for the font so it's like that's what you usually want to do for that's what we usually want to do is like stick with this color palette um and then eventually, when you hopefully get enough pressings, uh you run out of that palette and then you just start like for us, you <laughs> just start wanting to include like really cool ones, so um yeah. Know, whatever it is like clear a clear vinyl you know that might not be in the palette but it's like this would be a cool thing to be able to look at you know or like the splatter colors yeah that kind of thing so we have control over that um but really we try to like uh we try to do it based on what the album artwork is
0: i gotcha and i, I want to ask that because uh, i've talked to other people before and i guess in, in their respective situations they're like no it's the label we don't even know like uh I spoke to somebody before and they said that there was a repressing coming out. They're like, Holy shit, we didn't even know about it. <laughs> it's like ah, Well, I guess that there goes that question.
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh sometimes we so we have like a Slack channel that we all talk in and uh there's a million emails that we're we're talking about, you know. All right, we got a, another pressing coming up. What color are we going to do it? And most of the time, it's kind of just whoever jumps in first. So sometimes I have no idea what color it's going to be. But because we kind of have this thing of like, it's going to be from the palette if we can. And then beyond that, mm-hmm. it's going to be just like whatever cool thing that we can do. Um, it makes it easy on us because not all of us have to come to a consensus. It's kind of just like first person to jump in says like gold. And you're like, okay, cool you know gold gold with like a uh, bone white splatter yeah. or something like that you know like it, it makes it really easy for us um and luckily we have a label that is just like triple crown our label is just absolutely the most supportive people in the world they will just yeah uh do anything that we suggest or or request
0: you know. so <laughs> that's always good so the, the audio kind of lagged for a second there I was trying to wait for it to catch up
1: <laughs> oh yeah. yeah we're definitely <laughs> but uh forward. <laughs>
0: yeah uh, so the uh i want to ask So follow up to that like so are you guys like big big vinyl fans or just, like physical media fans at all or is that something that you know that some of you guys like to partake in
1: yeah so um i think all of us uh are definitely collectors to a certain degree um john probably the most because john uh has uh is I mean, I don't know when the last time he did it was probably like a year ago, but he's really great at, uh, you know, DJing, like um, spinning vinyl. And uh, so he's got a great collection. Um, I've got my collection in the other room and uh, my mine could use work because I don't really go out to like uh, find things as much as when I see things, I'll grab them, especially from bands that we go on tour with. I love to get you know uh whatever bands that we're on tour with like get their records because you know it means something to me it's like a connection with those bands uh yeah but outside of that it's it's really um i love the physical medium i you know it's cool that we stream everything these days but it's just i do really really love uh buying records and also when people buy our records it's so much cooler than you know just like uh, digital downloads or streaming or anything like that it's so awesome to hand somebody a record or like sign it or whatever yeah, yeah. especially
0: like, that's um
1: we work into the 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 design of everything you know like we, we work our ass off to make like, the, the, the gatefold or like the inserts you know like the lyric sheets all, all that kind of stuff just takes so much time and when people get those things look at them it really feels like you know, it's part of the art. It's part of the, the process, and, and they they really they can really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's definitely that's why I kind of got into vinyl to begin with was because it's like, oh, it's like a CD but bigger and way cooler. <laughs> and, like, digital's fine, but, yeah, you, you kind of lose something there, obviously, if you – I know, like, on iTunes, I'll have, like, the digital booklets along with the album. It's like, that's not the same. But, oh. you know, it's I just
1: – I mean, you know, say what you will about the quality – of the sound uh of listening to vinyl. Obviously we all prefer listening to to records like on a a record player um or the sound of CDs, which is, you know, undeniably always gonna be better than streaming. Uh but all of that aside, it's the idea of really holding this piece of music because you know music is such a, you know, an abstract thing and being able to uh condense it into like this physical form is the most cool thing about it it's like you know you really have this piece of music that you, you have in your hands and this piece of art that the that the musician has made for you and uh you're able to really like i don't know you put it up on your wall or you know put it in your record collection and it becomes like a part of your physical library of music it's, it's awesome i love that
0: yeah it's um i've quite a few that are kind of like a point of pride where it's like I have it, and it's, like, really cool, and I love looking at it, but then also in the vinyl community, I guess, people, you know, there's always, like, the holy grail. something like, you'll have something that somebody really wants, or they have something I really want. It's just kind of cool trading stories, like, holy shit, yeah, I got this from wherever, like, 15 years ago, and I've been holding on to it, and it's great. And, you know, it's, uh, the community is really awesome in that respect. Like, they really always uh, real supportive and... And cool, really. Not a lot of uh, dickheads, which I've noticed, which is really awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love I love my like test presses of our records. It's one thing that I always I look at and I'm like, ah, it's so cool. Like they're messed up or something, you know? Like it's just like, uh, <laughs> those are always awesome.
0: Yeah, the uh, oh, I've seen people post test pressings before, and like some of them they go for a pretty you know pretty high amount. And like I've never gotten my hands on on any test pressings of anything yet, but that's like a um, that's not like the the overall, everybody kind of agrees, like, that's the holy shit. If you got one of those, like,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's why pretty cool. I
1: feel like I would I would never want to sell mine unless it was like, you know, for a good cause, like for a charity or something, because my my test press, oh, days, yeah. it's kind of like especially test presses for our early records, like our EPs or uh, first or for the Albatross. It's like this thing was like the first time I ever saw our music or ever heard our music on an actual record, you know? It's so cool. It's like, I don't know, it's the greatest feeling in the world to, like, hold your own music in your hands.
0: That's pretty awesome, man. Uh, So, okay, last thing. Speaking of records, I have two more questions. One, Desert Island Records. You pick three. You have three albums to take with you for all time. What are you bringing along?
1: All right. And these are, like, the vinyl, right? This uh, I'm bringing bringing along. Okay. Well, okay, so... Happiness Project by Charles Spearin. Uh that's my favorite record that I own. Um it is incredible. You should look it up if you've never heard of it. Uh it will blow your mind. It's essentially Charles Spearin from Broken Social Scene and Do Make Say Think, uh interviewing his neighbors about what love means to them. And then he scores music to the inflections of that person's voice. So it's like a saxophone oh, wow. playing along to the person talking, or uh, you know, a piano playing to. It's so cool. It's incredible, and it will really, especially now in a quarantine. It's like, man, it's worth listening to because it'll make you cry. Um, <laughs> the next. I'll one definitely be... check that out. Yeah, uh, the next one I feel like would be <sighs> Talk by Steger Rose. Um, that is uh, hands down my favorite seger Rose record i think they like everything they make is amazing but that one was the first one i heard from them and it's still just like floors me every time i listen to it i can go to sleep to it i can cry to it i can drive to it you know <laughs> i can be on a desert island listening to it um and i think you said three right
0: yes I th- big, think, big decision <laughs>
1: okay i think i would go with um a Silver Mount Zion, uh, the album is called uh, He Has Left Us, but shafts of light still grace some... Wait, what is it? He Has Left Us, but shafts of light sometimes grace the corners of our rooms. I think that's the full name. Usually shortened to He Has Left Us. Are you familiar with that record?
0: Gotcha. No, I'm not, actually.
1: Um, It's so good. It's so crazy and chaotic and scary, but also... And it's like this, it's just a great post-rock record. Um But there's this, this one song on it specifically called 13 angels standing guard around the side of your bed. Uh Again, everything is an extremely long song name in this fucking album, but uh, <laughs> uh,
0: that,
1: that song has always just been like one of my all time favorite meditation songs. And my, my mom loves that song. It's like, it's, it's truly like, uh, it was one of the most emotional instrumental songs that I've ever heard, if not the most uh, emotional songs. Um, and yeah, I think those, I feel like those three records would really get me through desert Island.
0: <laughs> kind of being a you know, quarantine, I guess, be, I guess you by yourself. So it's, you know, do you have a lot of time to really think and be introspective with them?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat>
0: Excuse me, sorry. So, um, I guess, uh, speaking of quarantine, so what's the first thing you're doing when you're, when you're out? <laughs> you should probably get, get free.
1: Uh, I'm going to go get a drink, definitely. Um, yep. I'm gonna get, I mean, definitely I am missing our studio so much. I want to get in there really bad and start recording again. Uh, we're all trying to record yeah. at home, and we all have you know our little setups in our own homes, but it's just – it is really like – it's killing me to not be working on our record right now because our record is coming along really well and I'm really excited about it and I'm super into it. And proud of it. Um, and to not be working on it right now is like exhausting, honestly, like just, I'm just thinking about the songs and I'm listening to, uh, the songs where like where they're at right now. And I'm like thinking of all the things I want to add or take away or the lyrics I want to put in there. So this, uh, I I hope this doesn't last forever because I really want to go. (laughs) So
0: when 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 is that? um, My
1: my three? Um. (laughs) Out of quarantine. I'm sure that your three records are very hard to define.
0: (laughs) I think uh, I, too, will probably get a drink. Um, I'll play basketball again. That's something that's been shut down. (laughs) So uh, I, I used to play once or twice a week, I guess. And now it's just... I got nothing, (laughs) Yep. but you know, yeah, that's always a a good, you know, stress reliever tap slash just time waster, I guess, depending on what I'm doing, but not being able to go at all. It's just like sucks. Kind of makes me take for granted. I took for granted the times when I could go anytime I wanted. (laughs) And it kind of like, ah, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't feel good today. And now I'm like, shit, I would kill to go to the gym right now. But yeah, it is what it is. You know, it's quarantine stuff. I'm sure it'll be. Uh, soon it'll be over soon enough, you know, yeah. let's hope. But, uh, so is there an ETA on the new record or are you still kind of, I was in production phase, but.
1: I would have an ETA for you like four weeks ago uh, that maybe <laughs> would have made some amount of sense. But at this point, I mean, truly, truly no idea. I mean, like I said, it's like the records are really coming along. I mean, the, the songs are really coming along and it sounds awesome you know i would say it's like oh we could put it out today and it would sound awesome but it's like you know we really we take it seriously and we really want to like make it as good as we can and make it the, the perfect record um and with this quarantine it's like i just have no idea you know i would have said like late this year early next year but now it's just like man i have no fucking clue it could be two years from now who knows <laughs> i don't i really i really don't know
0: yeah so whatever the case uh we'll definitely be looking out for it you know i've been uh sure everybody's really excited for it i'm sure it's gonna be great but um uh, so i guess with that i'll let you go it's been a really awesome opportunity good to talk to you and uh you know I know you have other things to be doing so i will let you get out of here uh so yeah, I guess that's all I got today, man. I appreciate and
1: it. Right back at you, Jeremy. I really appreciate this, and it is. Uh, I I can't wait to. I can't wait to get out of this thing, and I can't wait to make this record happen. And it was it was so good talking <laughs> to you. I really appreciated it. All right, thank you, man. All right, I'll talk to you okay. soon.
0: Stay safe. Okay. You do the same, man. Bye. All right. All right. So that was my interview with Connor from Foxing. Um, again, hope y'all enjoyed it. I had a blast doing it. Uh, I really love interviewing people. That's only my second one so far, but, um, it's always a lot of fun and, uh, it's really cool getting to talk to the people who make the records that, uh, that I love and listen to over and over. And I just want to pick apart everything. And, uh, like I said, it's really, really neat for him to do that with me or whatever. So, uh, Thank you, Connor, again. I appreciate it. Uh, Hope you get a chance to listen to the episode. So uh, as far as everybody else, um, if you could, follow me on Twitter, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that. Links will be provided, as always. Um, And be on the lookout for Foxing's new album, uh, Post-Quarantine, maybe the end of 2020, maybe next year. You know, we talked about it a little bit, as, as you just heard. But I'm uh, really excited to see what they do with that because Near My God was great. And they just keep getting better and better and better with each release. So uh, I'm sure these songs will be amazing. But uh, I guess um, that's it. You know, again, stay safe. You know, we're still in right in the middle of the quarantine. Now there's a uh, stay-at-home order. and there's, there's a lot going on out there. So just be smart, be safe, wash your hands, listen to people that are, you know, smart and know what they're talking about, I guess, um, uh, not Trump, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so that's it for me this week. Uh, next week, uh, actually the next like four or five weeks, i got some pretty cool shit working as far as uh, episodes and and what I'm going to be talking about, like some, some personal favorites of mine and some that I'm really, really excited to share. So, you know, stick around for that, you know, stay around and hang out with me. So, um, I guess, For The Vinyl Countdown, I'm Jeremy Levine. As always, uh, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you all next week, hopefully. Hope to be in New Year's next week. All right, take care, everybody. Bye.